Amen. If you get your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. I want to start with a verse. I'm going to change this if y'all work with me just for a moment up there. Mark chapter 5. I want to start with verse number 1 and uh, we'll move from there. Mark chapter 5 and verse number 1. And they came over into the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar, he ran and worshiped him. And he cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torments me not. For he said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And so those spirits, the legion came out of him. I want to pick it up at verse number, uh, let's, let's pick it up at verse number seven, uh, verse number 16. And they, they that saw it told them how it befell him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. Now, they knew this man was in the tombs. They knew he was battling for control over his mind. He was losing it, cutting himself, breaking chains and fetters, crying through the, throughout the night. They knew he was there, but reading the scripture, it kind of gives us the context that they were more comfortable with him messed up than him in his right mind. Because the Bible says after they heard what happened, they came to see Jesus and they saw this man at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind. And after they saw this man changed, they went to him and they said, Jesus, we'd basically like for you to leave the country. That, that's, that's pretty sad when the community is more comfortable with your mess than when you get cleaned up. Amen. Verse 17, and they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was coming to the ship, he had that been possessed with the devil, prayed him that he might be with him. Lord, I want to I come with you. How be it? I believe Jesus was looking to the future here. How be it? Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him. Now, this is, this is an often off-skipped over scripture in this passage. But the Lord said unto him, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath compassion on thee. How be it? Verse, let's read verse 19 again. How be it? He suffered him not and said unto him, go home to thy friends and tell them what great things the Lord hath done for thee. And how he, how he hath compassion upon thee. I want to bring your attention to the second part of that verse where the Lord said, go home to thy friends. Go home. It had been a long time since this man had been home. Go home to thy friends. 
Go home to your friends. Go home to your family. Go home to the people that have been waiting for this to resolve itself. He might have had some misgivings about going home. He might have felt uncomfortable going home because the ones at home know you more than anybody else. Can I get an amen? Amen. But the first thing the Lord said to him was, no, you don't need to come with me. You need to go home. There are times in our life we all, we just need to go home. We need to go back to that place where we're loved, where we're welcome, and where we're accepted. I want to preach to you here just for a few moments this morning on welcome home. Welcome home. Let's lift our hands. Let's ask the Lord to have his his way in the remainder of the service. We love you today, Lord. We're dependent upon you to move in the sanctuary. Your spirit is undeniably in this place. We have worshiped you, Lord. You have responded and let your spirit rain down in this house. There is power in here to change destinies. Lord, there is power in this place to change lives, break addictions, to start new, Lord. You're going to turn the page for many in this house today, Lord. We ask that your spirit would move and reign supreme, that your will would be done. And you said that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, I pray. Let this altar be full. Let it be free. Let there be liberty to respond to your word today, Lord. We ask all of these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. Tell somebody close to you, say, welcome home. You may be seated. After dealing with the aftermath of a hurricane, one man wrote about his family's experience. He noticed that people often get a little stir crazy after being trapped in one place before too long. He said, like most other families and everyone else, we, we had gone to the store to see that everything was wiped out on the shelves, no meat, no bread, and no milk. We were, we were left with just an odd assortment of some canned food and soups at the house that we would just have to make do. But after a little while, we started getting stir crazy. We, we felt left out. We felt cut off, isolated. Power in most of the city was gone. There was no modern conveniences. So we decided to to brave the remaining elements and to get out and to see if anything was open. We were really looking for a restaurant. And do you know, to our delight, there was one restaurant that was open. Waffle House. The original Golden Arches. Amen. Amen. Not long ago, you may not know this. Now, me and my daughter, we have an affection for Waffle House. I don't know about the rest of you. But not long ago, Time Magazine published an issue in 2016 that identified 240 reasons to celebrate America. Do you know what was number 77? Waffle House. Time Magazine basically said that Waffle House is an American treasure. Can I get an amen? I knew it was. I knew it was. If, if you have been to a Waffle House, then you know that they basically have a language all to their own. I, there are nuclear physicists that could not operate in a kitchen at Waffle House. I am amazed when they begin shouting out orders and in like a foreign language and the chef, the chef, the chef, the cook, he gets everything just right. I don't know how they don't mess up the orders. It is like magic, I tell you. They have their own language at Waffle House, covered, 
Covered, covered. It means with cheese. Smothered. The definition is with onions. Chunked, it's with ham. Topped means it has chili. Diced is with tomatoes. Capped means it has mushrooms. Scattered means you just flippantly catched it across the grill. If you knew all of those, you need to go see your heart doctor immediately. Immediately. For those that are interested, Waffle House is open 24-7. They are the gift that keeps on giving. So reliable is Waffle House that FEMA, FEMA actually uses something called the Waffle House Index to determine the severity of hurricane damage. Green, I'm serious, green means Waffle House is open and running at full capacity. Yellow means that Waffle House is open but has a limited menu. Red means it's closed and things are very serious. When you walk into a Waffle House, I love hearing their trademark line, hi, sit anywhere that you would like. And after riding out a hurricane, this gentleman said, at that moment, we were all sitting in Waffle House. We couldn't go anywhere else. We felt, we just felt like things were going to be all right. We just, we just, we just, they welcomed us in and made us feel right at home. At that moment, we looked at each other and said, you know what? We don't have power. We don't have much food in the coolers at home, but we just feel like everything is going to be okay. We felt at home. You know, at Waffle House, they don't ask your political affiliation. Thank God. At Waffle House, they don't ask you what you do for a living. At Waffle House, they don't ask you about your issues, where you've been, and what you have done. They simply say, hi, you're welcome. Sit wherever you like. Can I help you? Now, the truth is, is that we all need a place like that, a home away from home, a home away from the chaos, a home away from the pain, a home away from the isolation that that desolates us and slowly kills us spiritually. Now, I'm not saying all churches should be just like like a Waffle House, but yet I think there is something that a church can get right. We can practice the simple act of hospitality. We can welcome the sojourner. We can welcome the stranger. We can make a difference in their lives and make them feel at home. This place, this church needs to be a place where we can say your issues are important, but they are less important than you are. Your baggage is important, but it's not as important as who you are. Your hurts and your pains and your chains, they matter, but they don't matter more than the person. They don't matter more than you. This needs to be a place that you are not going to be defined by what's clinging to you. That your identity is not restricted to your issues. You belong here. Hi, you're welcome. Welcome home. This is how King David treated Mephibosheth. He was a prince that was turned into a pauper by tragic circumstance. He was the heir apparent. He was the son of Jonathan, which was the son of King Saul. But in a moment of haste, when there was a transitioning of kings, that the maid picked up little Mephibosheth, three, four, five years of age, took off running across the field. She stumbled. He fell, and when he fell, it broke his leg. 
legs. He crumbled to the ground. He would never run. He would never play. He wouldn't move quite as fast as the other young boys at the park. And and the Bible says that he was relegated to a place called Lodabar. It was on the backside of nothing. The Bible says that it was a desolate, a lonely, a barren place. He was forgotten by the people. He was forgotten by his country. He, 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 he didn't feel at home. He used to walk the aisles of the king's house. He used to be able to run, run the hallways of the king's house as he ran into the kingly chamber and said, hey, grandpa, how's it going? But now he's been away from that place for a long, long time. But the new king says, I want to show kindness to somebody from the house of Jonathan. And Ziba said, there is one, but he's broken. He's messed up. And David, you know the protocol. You know, he doesn't have nothing to give. He shouldn't even be in your presence. And David said, wait a minute, slow your rolls, Ziba. I'm not asking you about what his condition is. I just want you to go get him and bring him to the king's house. And when Ziba got there, you had to, or when Mephibosheth got there in his broken condition, probably leaning on two other gentlemen as they were dragging him through the palace, David invited him to the king's table. And to be invited to the king's table meant what, what, what is mine is yours. I'm going to share my blessing and my sustenance with you. He might have had intrepidation as he walked through the front doors of that palace that he knew all too well. Were they going to accept me? Were they going to let me come back? Is he bringing me here just to ridicule me and to pull, and just to point out my failures and to point out all of my shortcomings? But what Mephibosheth found out in the king's house has an open door. He didn't get ridiculed. He didn't get judged. But what he got was Mephibosheth, from now on, you're welcome at my table and my house for the rest of your life. Welcome home. And I tell you, there are those, there are those that stand on the precipice of a decision of whether to come to God's house to get right with God. And they run through the same mental anguish that Mephibosheth runs through. Will they love me? Will they accept me? Will they judge me? Will they look at my brokenness? Can I tell you, that's not how it is here at Calvary. We're not worried about where you've been. We're too preoccupied about where you're headed. Welcome home. Mark chapter 5. Jesus had gone to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It was a trip that was significant since Jesus really traveled very far from his home country. His trips to the east of Galilee and Jordan were rare and therefore they were noteworthy. It seems like when he went east, he always faced a greater opposition than normal. The terrain was rough. It was parched. It was land. It was wasteland. It was a place of desolation. East of Galilee was where Jesus faced the tempter with his threefold temptation. East of the Galilee is where Jesus found a tormented man that we read about in our scripture text. And after ridding this man of his tormentors, Jesus said to him in verse 19, go home, go home. 
Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. Go home. They haven't seen you in a while. They are anticipating your return. Hey, bud, trust me. They're going to be waiting with open arms. Welcome home. Those are the universal words that every weary traveler wants to hear. Welcome home. Those are the universal words of comfort that every displaced prodigal longs to hear welcome home every soldier posted on foreign soil wishes and dreams and longs to hear the words welcome home it's good to have you back every son or daughter leaving home for the first time after an extended season of feeling the pressures of life they long to hear those comforting words welcome home son welcome home daughter it hasn't been the same since you left. Every wayward child, every broken family member that leaves home after the slamming of doors and the breaking of hearts and trust misplaced after a season of regret and reflection, they wonder secretly. They hope secretly. They pray and cry themselves to sleep at night. Oh, to hear those words when they finally decide to return home in spite of where you've been and in spite of what you've done welcome home my child welcome home Gadara was a backwater town of east east of Galilee everyone ignored it but not Jesus you need to notice that the events, uh, that all of these events happened in one day in the life of Jesus. Uh, you know, everyday happenings were life-changing possibilities with the Lord. He was sensitive. He never missed a chance to change a life. And in Mark chapter 4, Jesus taught by the seaside, probably in Copernicum on the north side of the sea of Galilee. He had given a host of parables, and a multitude was now president present listening to his words never before they said as a man spoke like this man and on the same day mark says in 4 and 35 when the sun is setting he turns to his disciples and says let's get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake jesus is weary he sleeps at the back of the boat and while the disciples many of them are seasoned fishermen who knew the lake well they navigate the boat the dozen miles to the other side of the lake but a storm blows up and but Jesus continues to sleep the disciples being afraid and fearful for their lives they wake him up Jesus stands the bow of the boat he rebukes the wind and the waves and the cause and the effect and the storm vanishes the sea is one calm again and placid and soon they are at the shore of Gadara. For what? Not for what, but for whom have they made this trip? Upon arrival, Jesus didn't hobnob with the religious crowd. He didn't meet with the city officials. There wasn't a book tour planned. There wasn't a planned meet and greet. No, he came for one man. He visited one man. A man, the Bible tells us, didn't have just one issue, but had a thousand issues. He had a legion of demons, a multitude of tormenting spirits. 
spirits. A man who was reduced to living in alone in the tombs. He was hurting himself, crying through the night. He was cutting himself for quite some time. The Bible tells us that no chains could hold him except the chains of darkness. And this day would go on with Jesus returning to the other side of the lake. He would heal a woman with an issue of blood. He would later raise Jairus' daughter back to life again. It's all in a day's work for the Messiah. But here in Gadara, Jesus and the church has just come through a storm. But there was no food waiting on them. There was no welcoming committee to be found. Jesus had come for one man to save one man, to heal one man, to deliver one man. This man was not a perfect man. He he was a man who had some issues, a thousand issues. Let me talk about issues for a moment. Issues, we all have them. We've all got to learn to deal with them. Every age group has them. For teens, it might be peer pressure. For millennials, it might be gaming. For ex-gens, it may be drugs. For boomers, it may be alcohol. For seniors, it may be prescription. I don't know. Everybody's got issues. Men have issues. Women have issues. All races have issues. We all struggle with issues. Some are prone to lying. Others are captured by lust. Some are fixated on greed. Still, others struggle with hatred and prejudice. Some are filled with rage and control issues. Look at your neighbor right now and tell them the struggle is real. We've all struggled with our issues. And if you say you don't have an issue, John would tell you that you are a liar and the truth is not in us. We all have our issues. Issues are like noses. We all have them and they all smell. What one struggles with doesn't affect another. What another struggles with doesn't affect someone else. But you can rest assured, we all struggle with something. We all have our issues. Now, many of us would not want to admit this, but at times we have all lived, we all live lives of quiet desperation, hiding behind facades and hiding behind our mask. Let me tell you what the Bible says about hiding behind the mask and pretending to be something when you're not. The Bible refers to it as hypocrisy. Now, I've learned a few things over the years, and one of the things I've learned about hypocrisy is that professional hypocrites usually hang out with other professional hypocrites. Why is that the case? Because there's a secret. There's an unspoken agreement. I won't point out your obvious problems. Therefore, you won't point out my obvious problems. But can I tell you, that's an, un, that, that's an uneasy, uneasy truce that is so easily broken when one of you starts feeling the need to feel better than the other one, that hypocrite's going to dime out another hypocrite. There is nothing worse than living in a house full of hypocrites. Two-faced, half-hearted, double-minded, lukewarm, long-tongued, back-slabbing, backstabbing hypocrites. God help the man or woman who comes to their senses and finds out they've checked into the hotel hypocritical. I've heard some people say, Pastor Griffiths, that's exactly why I don't go to church anymore because there's too many hypocrites. But here's how I've always looked at it. I'd rather go to church with a few hypocrites than to go to hell with all of them. 
rather put up with a few hypocrites than bust hell wide open with everybody else. Can I tell you the truth? If someone says that, you've got a problem with self-righteousness. You've got a problem with grace. None of us deserve to be here today. We are all sinners saved by the grace of God. If you want to play that game and hide behind your mask and be a hypocrite and act all perfect all the time, then then you go ahead and do you. But I'm going to be in this altar. I'm going to keep it real. I'm going to be pulling mask off. I've got to make heaven my home. I ain't pretending this is life or death. On the flip side, if you if you don't learn to wear a mask because we cover, we cover things up. If you haven't learned to wear a mask to hide your issues, you're going to be prone to running away all the time. What do you mean, Pastor? Because some people with issues, now I done told you we all got them, but some people with issues, they try to separate themselves from what they believe are issue-free people. Well, I look around and I think everybody else has got their act together. And I've got all these problems. I'm the only one in the world that has these problems. Oh, honey, you'd be surprised. You got a minute? I called a pastor one time. Man, on Facebook, they got it going on. I mean, everything they do is like gold. I'm like, I want to be, man, I'd call him and I'd get ideas from him. He said, oh, wait a minute, Brother Griffiths. Let me tell you what. You keep watching on Facebook. Please don't show up because real life is completely different than what you see on Facebook. Because we got problems like everybody else. If you've got a problem with self-worth, then it's perhaps you need to take a break from social media where everybody's taking selfies. Everybody's pretending. That ain't real life. So if you're battling with self-worth, why don't you take a break from, uh, I don't know, from Snapchat, Instagram, and Facebook, and then all of a sudden you'll come back to reality. The worst thing about all these things is everybody gets to be their own little personal reality star. But it's not real life. We all got issues. We all got hang-ups and hookups. We're all flawed. And if we were on a shelf in the store, we would be on the clearance rack. And we'd all have a little tag hanging on us that says, as is, no returns and no refunds. Maybe missing some parts. Good luck. So people will separate themselves when, from other people they feel like that has it all together. Oh, come on, folks. The enemy somehow gets them to believe that their issues disqualify them from coming home. That they are the only ones with problems like this. I can't tell how many times people have sat in my office and said, I know nobody else deals with this. And I'm like, wait a minute, one, two, three, four, five. I got six right now. I've got six right now. I know nobody else is, is working through these issues. Nobody's else family, nobody else's family is as dysfunctional as mine. Oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> you know, the Bible says, you know, if you can you know, if you love your brother, you're gonna help conceal a matter, you're gonna keep the collateral damage down. Because if word got out what all of us has done and where all of us has been, nobody'd want to sit next to anybody. <laughs> can we say here's a here's a tissue for your issue? Go cry it out somewhere, right? We don't stop having community and fellowship because we think everybody else has got together. We don't operate under that misguided, uh, um, uh, that that misconception. Uh, We know people are flawed. 
well, the only, I'm the only one that's got this problem. Nobody else has a family like mine. Nobody else are dealing with the problems uh, and the pressures that I deal with. And while I'm not belittling or demeaning what you're feeling because it is real, oh, it is oh so real. But while under the weight of guilt, you will convince yourself that you're too messed up to be welcome home. So we banish ourselves outside the walls of the house. Can I tell you today that that thought process is completely flawed like all of the rest of us. I've had people tell me, Brother Griffiths, it took me a while to get to the altar because when I looked around the church, everybody was worshiping and everybody was smiling. I thought, I'm the only sinner in here. I said, oh, no, no, no. It's like putting lipstick on a pig. There's a bunch of sinners in here. We all, oh, come on, don't you get quiet on me. You know I'm telling the truth. I've had people tell me, you know, I, I didn't come down the altar because it just looks like everybody else is perfect. Uh, let me break it to you. We're all dealing with imperfection. Uh, we're all dealing with issues. Uh, the only difference is that we're going to run to this altar. We're going to crawl to this altar. We're going to get it taken care of. I don't want to get comfortable wearing a mask. We're all messed up. Some are just better at hiding it than others. You can be seated. Don't let the enemy tell you you're the only one here that's got, got dysfunction or chaos. You would not believe the people that are barely whole. I'm just, just, just get real. You, you blow your mind the people that staggered in here this morning that's barely holding it all together. And they needed the move of God that we've already had in this service. Oh, they desperately need it. You don't know what they've been through this week. You don't know the rejection they've suffered. You, you don't know what's happened on the job. You don't know what family member broke their heart. You don't know what addiction got back on them and they got to get it back off today. And they barely staggered in here. Don't you look around and think you're the only one. We're all sinners. Say We're all fighting to make heaven. Our, we're going to make it to that celestial shore. I might make it on a broken piece of the ship, but I'm still going to make it. The struggle is real. The struggle is, well, you can be seated. Well, and there you have it. That's the reason why many of us get isolated. Isolation leads to desolation. Is we don't feel worthy. We don't feel people would love us if they really knew us. So we excommunicate and disfellowship ourselves from the masses. Can I pause for a moment to say, we here at Calvary, we have to make sure that we don't confirm their suspicions. Because when people are broken and hurting, they're thinking everybody else knows exactly what they've done. How do you know that? Because I felt that way and you felt that way. If I, that's why I say I need people in this altar before the guest ever, why? Because that, that guest needs to understand I'm not the only one broken here. I'm not the only one messed up. I'm not the only one that way. We'd, when guests come in that are broken and hurting and they're looking for affirmation and acceptance but, but yet their flesh and the enemy some they're not going to accept you there's too much water under the bridge there's too much brokenness and when they, get a, when they get a far away stare and when they get a cold shoulder and nobody introduces themselves and nobody loves them and nobody prays with them you are confirming their suspicions that they don't accept me that I'm not good enough we don't need to prove them right by being judgmental and standoffish for such were some of you we need to say to everybody welcome home sit anywhere you like John Charles Thomas was a singer and a son of a Methodist minister when he traveled across the country singing in concerts with his dad he'd visit churches on Sunday morning as was his custom 
He wrote the syndicated columnist Abigail Van Buren saying, I am presently completing the second year of a three-year survey on the hospitality or lack of it in churches. To date, of the 195 churches I have visited, I was spoken to in only one by someone other than an official greeter, and that was when they asked me to move my feet. 195 churches, only one person in one church other than a greeter ever spoke to them. You know what you're saying? You're not welcome. This is our clique, our four and no more. We're, 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 we're jumping jump rope double dutch and you're not invited. This is our game. You don't have a game piece, but that can't be the way it is here. Because in most circles these days, in most circles these days, being a stranger means you have issues. Because I don't know you, I automatically perceive you got problems. Just because somebody's stranger is a stranger, just because somebody is not your friend doesn't mean that that automatically predicates they have issues. Just because somebody's different doesn't mean they're wrong. Come on, somebody. A lot of times we look at the stranger as having a problem or have, they're just, they can't even help it. They don't even get the benefit of the doubt. We don't know them, therefore I know they have issues. We build walls, we draw lines, form opinions to keep others away. But Jesus made it a a habit. He made it his mission to reach for people with issues. Jesus had this infinity for the disenfranchised. He was always hanging. He wasn't always hanging with the religious people. No, the Jesus people were, 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 were the despised, were the rejected, and were the outcast. Some were success successful, but they were just just as despised. Others were unsuccessful and they were equally despised. And the religious people hated him for it because he treated everybody the same way. Mark chapter two and verse 16. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collector and sinners, you notice they dimed the tax collector out because they felt he was worse than a sinner. Hello, IRS, moving right along. They said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I do not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, tax collectors in those days were basically extortionists, doing the bidding of the oppressive Roman Empire. To the religious crowd, sinners was a vast and compassing term. If you were poor, they believed you had sinned. If you had a physical impairment, they believed you had sinned. If you were sick, they believed you had sinned. If you did not obey all of the elaborate washings and rituals of the Pharisees, they believed you had sinned. If you did not come from the right neighborhood, they believed you had sinned. If you looked a little different from them and talked a little different from them, they believed you had sinned. If you weren't a part of their race and their ethnicity, they believed You get the picture? If you were different in any way from the religious crowd, you were conceived to be a sinner. But Jesus wasn't like the Levite and the priest who passed the wounded man on the other side of the road. They made up every reason not to get involved in that man that was beaten and left and robbed and left for dead in that ditch. But Jesus is like the good Samaritan that said, you're my brother, you're my sister. I don't care how you got in that ditch, but I care about getting you out out of that ditch. 
He doesn't chastise us. He doesn't fuss at us. He doesn't interrogate us. He doesn't excuse us. He simply wraps his arms around us and says, let me help you. He gives us grace. It's not a greasy grace. It's a grace that has accountability. It's a grace that has responsibility. And that's exactly what he did with that Gadarene demoniac. When Jesus arrived in Gadara, that demoniac was his only welcoming committee. He raced to the place where Jesus and the disciples embarked, disembarked, and the disciples were probably happy to be back on dry land after the storm until this man, frothing and full of a legion of demons, of unclean spirits, fell at the feet of the master. And Jesus said, simply as he looked at the man, he looked at the man and threw his face into his soul, and he told those unclean spirits, go. And all of those spirits left him. And the next time we read about him, he is clothed and in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. He wanted to stay with Jesus. But the Lord knew there was some, there were some things that had to be taken care of. Most, most of the time he would tell them, don't go back. If you go back, you know, but those weren't the people that hadn't experienced home in a long time. Those were people that just left home that day. And he said, if you got to go back home and do you just stay there? I'm asking you to come follow me. But this, this man was different. The Lord knew it had been a long time since he had, he had felt the warmth of home. He said, look, son, I don't want you going with me, but I need a witness uh, on the east side of Jordan uh, and he said go home to your friends go home to your family go home to those that love you those were the words that that man had been longing to hear I don't know how long it had been brother Lampkin since he went home but I'm sure there was a mom and dad that were praying desperately that he would get relief they couldn't help him they had tried but they never washed their hands of him they still were waiting and anticipating when he was going to get home and the Lord knew that boy you need some healing that can only happen when you go home go home to your friends Jesus in his omniscience knew that there were some people waiting on that man there were folks that hadn't given up on that man they had left the light burning hope still gripped their heart that somehow the impossible would happen and take place in this man's life can I tell you home is and has always been a place of spiritual healing and I've come to preach to somebody this afternoon we won't give up on you We'll keep the light burning. We have hope that God's going to do a wonder and a work in your life. Come home. Come home. Come home. Home is a place of healing. You remember when Simon Peter was released from prison and a, and a death sentence by an angel of the Lord? The angel of the Lord helped him to escape. No, it's vitally important to, to notice what he did first. The Bible said the first thing that Peter did, the Bible said he went to his own company. He didn't go to strangers. He didn't go to people that didn't know him. The Bible says he went to his own company. He went to his friends. He went to his brothers. He went to his sisters in the Lord that were, that were gathered together praying for Peter. And as soon as he got free, Peter made a beeline for that home. You see, the word hospital is found in hospitality. And it is true. The place who welcomes you is the place that can heal you. 
The place that welcomes you is the same place that will heal you. The first thing that Peter did said, I'm going to where I'm wanted. I'm going home. Dr. Jamie Ayton is a Christian trauma expert and I'm, I'm closing. He says that when the traumatic takes place, many people feel helpless. They, they freeze up. They don't know what to do. He said the one thing you can do as a believer is offer refuge. No matter what they've done or where they've been, just let them know that there's a safe there's a safe place. They may not need you to say a word. They just need you to accept them, allow them in. Aiden described working his way through an area affected by Hurricane Katrina a few weeks after landfall. He began to interview one of the survivors who lived in a low area near the coast. He said when the first belts of rain and wind came in, he said it was incredible. He said, I knew right then there's no way that I could, I'm going to be able to make it through the storm. I, I, was, I was silly for thinking that I could make it. Water started rising. He said, I, I ran and jumped in my car. Thank God it started and started plowing through the water. He said, I, I drove just a few miles and was making it to higher ground. And he said, the wind, the heavens opened up. I couldn't see anything. The, the windshield wipers wasn't helping at all. He said, I was just crawling into the road, hoping not to hit something or to hit somebody. He said, all of a sudden, I saw a shadowy figure standing in the middle of the road. He said, I, I slammed on my brakes and, 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 and I, 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 I opened up the door because I couldn't see through the windows. And I looked out and he said, there was a complete stranger. There was a neighbor that had walked out into the middle of the road and he was holding a wood sign that said stop here there's danger further down the road he was going to find out and his car would have been flooded and he wouldn't have been able to make it but there was a neighbor down the road a complete stranger that hazarded his life walked out in the road and when this man was panicking when this man thought he had made the wrong decision there was a stranger that said stop here come into my house we'll ride the storm out together in other words welcome home you're welcome here And he found a safe haven to ride out the storm. That's what this place is. It's a safe haven. You can stop here. That's the message of our church. That's the message the Lord wants you to hear today. If you're hurting, I wish I had a sign. When I preach this again in 15 years, I'll have a sign. Stop here. When you're discouraged, stop here. Can we stand today? If you're hopeless, stop here. If you're miserable, stop here. If you're lost, you can stop here. No questions asked. That guy didn't know where the other guy was coming from. He just said, stop here. Welcome home. We won't prod you. We won't poke you. We won't ask where you've been or what you've been doing. We'll simply say, stop here. Welcome home. She was at the feet of Jesus. She was almost stoned for her sin, but Jesus didn't quiz her. He comforted her. No questions asked at the feet of Jesus. He's just said, stop here. Honey, you're safe here. I know they've caught you in the act of adultery. 
but they they got you to the right spot stop here neither do I condemn thee why don't you go and sin no more in the last verse of the longest chapter in the Bible the psalmist had been praising God's laws and God's ways for 22 verses each beginning with successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet the psalmist brags on the goodness of God but it was praise coming from someone who had been afar off because in the last verse he admits it Psalms 119 and 176 I have gone astray like a lost sheep seek your servant for I do not forget your commandments God come find me I still remember I still believe I want to come home the spirit and the bride say come stop here welcome home I need a tribe I need a village I need a family stop here welcome home hey boy we going out partying tonight you gonna quit messing with those pigs long enough to go out man I don't, I don't have any money you mean I've been partying for weeks now man I'm all out of money how much did you get from your daddy I got a lot from him I got my inheritance man you've already spent it all yeah we've already spent it all it's all gone man you stink I know I can't believe you're doing this I know I'm doing it for some food I don't know what else to do man I wish I never would have left my father's house I wish I'd have never left home I wish I never would have left home as that young boy filthy and afraid and embarrassed and broken so shameful that he's hurt his parents shameful that he's broken trust he's broken their hearts the masks are gone here he is in a pig trough slopping food around for the swine man I miss home I never had it better than when I was at home. Oh, I remember those biscuits in the morning. I remember that. Those. I remember that. Remember those long talks with Dad. I remember mending the fences on the farm, fixing the shutters on the house, rearranging the shingles. I remember fishing with Dad. I remember tending the sheep. Oh, it was so good. I wish I was, I wish I was back home. Oh, I never had it better. But will they bring, can I go back home? I've done so much. I've gone so far. I've hurt so many people. I wonder what they'll do. I wonder what kind of ridicule. But I'm desperate. I'm tired of crying myself to sleep at night. I'm tired of the brokenness. I'm just tired of knowing there's a better way. I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Oh God, I need you. 
my first step is I got to go home. It all starts with going home. I got to go home. He picks himself up out of that pig pen. Goes to his employer, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be in tomorrow. I may not be in the next day. I'm not sure if I'll ever be back, but I've been away from home too long. Well, bud, I don't think your daddy's going to want you back. I think you're just wasting your time. You know, we're going to give your job to somebody else. I know, but I got to go back home. He turns and starts walking. He ain't there yet, but he's headed in the right direction. Some of his drinking buddies, some of his partying buddies. Where you going, buddy? I'm going home. You're going where? After what you've done and where you've been? Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I've messed up. I've relived it, replayed it over my mind the last couple of months, but I just can't deal with it anymore. You're dirty. You're unclean, man. You're an embarrassment. Yeah, I know I'm a little dirty, but I'm on my way back home. I know I'm a little broken, but I'm on my way back home. I know I've messed everything up, but I'm on my way back home. And when he got just, when he got a shot's distance from that house, when he reached the gates, the Bible says his father saw him coming. His daddy wanted him home more than he had wanted to be home. Because while he was walking home, the Bible says his daddy took off running to meet him. The eyes of divine love are faster than the feet of repentance. Before the prodigal could ever get to him, the father had already forgiven him. Before you ever come to this altar and ask God to help you make things right, the Bible says the lamb was slain from the foundations of the world. He saw you coming. He saw you coming. He saw you coming. And while you've been walking, he's been running. That daddy fell on that prodigal. Daddy, I know I'm dirty, but can I come home? I know I broke it, but can I come home? I got a lot of weight. I got a lot of guilt. I got a lot of shame, but daddy... Is it all right if I come home? His father fell on him. The Bible says he kissed him on that dirty old neck. Go kill the fatted calf. I thought my son was dead, but he is alive. We're going to have a party, son. Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. We've been waiting on you. Welcome home. I want to open these altars here just for a few moments here today. Nobody should have to come alone, but if you come, come all the way up. We're going to make a lot of room. If there's a prodigal, brother, sister, someone in here, you feel displaced, you feel a little lost, I stop here. You're welcome here. Would you come this morning? Would you ask the Lord to help you? Peter said, if you'll just repent of those sins, if you'll ask him to forgive you, he will forgive you. Your first step.